I'll just keep going silently and you have to read my lips. So that still might be not so bad, right? I'm not speaking. <laughs> Back in about 1904, there was a brokerage firm that was started by Edward Francis Hutton. And uh, it was so successful that his track, <clears throat> track record spoke for itself. Right? He was so good at trading and people got to know this. His trades were so consistent. The risk level became so low uh, that... Uh, Whatever, he's, whatever stock he told people to invest in or to buy, <clears throat> people took his advice. And, of course, this is according to what the company said in their great history, right? And uh, the track record of this firm led to a series of commercials in the 70s and the 80s. And many of us remember this, don't we? When E.F. Hutton speaks... People listen. That's right. How many forgot that? How many remembered that? Micah, you don't remember that? Okay. And so, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Why? According to the company, because he was so good. Whatever he said, it was, it was good. It was good. You know, to say one thing and to live another really is, a, it, it's confusion and it's contradiction, Right? And we see this around us. Sadly, we see it sometimes in our own lives, and we don't like it, but it happens, right? You know, when it snows in May, we don't like that. That's, that's like a contradiction. Now, not if you're, in, you know, in, on uh, you know, Red Lake in northern Minnesota. Yeah, big deal. It's still snowing in June there in July, but not here, right? Snow in May, in May, I know it happens, but it's a contradiction, and I don't like it at all. Because it doesn't happen very often, but it has happened, right? Hey, you know it's a contradiction when you see a six foot five, three hundred pound man being absolutely controlled by a a, a twenty six inch, thirty pound child. That's a contradiction, right? I remember saying to a friend of mine, "It is wrong that something as big as you is, and something as little as her is not afraid of you." <laughs> All I remember is, come here, come here. And she didn't care a lick. She was just running away. I was like, boy, that's a contradiction right there. Something doesn't fit. Yeah. We see it in the political world, don't we? Remember this, remember this, old, uh, remember this old line? Uh, it goes back a little way. Read my lips. What was it? No new taxes. Well, it looks like we're going to have to raise taxes. Right. I mean, that's just the political contradiction that's out there, isn't there? And no, we don't like the contradictions. We don't like the confusion. We don't like that you can keep your doctor. We don't like the, you know, <clears throat> the new uh, government health care is going to save the average family $2,500 a year. No, it never happened, right? It never, it never did. It's a contradiction. Watch this. When somebody lives in contradiction long enough, what they say eventually becomes meaningless, right? I don't know if any of you heard this last year, I think it was, when Nancy Pelosi, now she thought it was a wonderful uh, announcement. Other, others may have thought it was a dreadful announcement, but she uh, assured her followers that she was running again for the children. 
she said. I'm running for the children. And it was the creepiest ad I've ever seen in my life. While you're signing bills to murder them, you're telling your constituents, well, I'm running for the children, right? Uh, listen, after a while, after a while, it becomes meaningless. Yeah. And so the problem is, and we're going to see in the text here tonight, when there's glaring contradictions in our life, people will respond to what they see, not to what they hear. That's the danger we face in our life. And we're all there. I mean, nobody's, nobody's above this. Nobody is, is, is uh, you know, uh, not, uh, incapable of this being in their life. And this is the dilemma that we're at in Genesis chapter 19 tonight. Contradiction. And I, I titled the message this. It's, it's called, Don't Laugh, I'm Serious, right? And uh, I, that's, that happens a lot to me. I'm like, well, don't laugh. I'm, I think I just said it to Sherry earlier. Don't laugh, I'm serious, right? And, uh, and this happens, right? Don't laugh, I'm serious. Well, here in our text in Genesis 19, give you a little recap. These three angels showed up, one of them, of course, being the Lord Jesus Christ. He, they, they showed up to visit Abraham. Uh, they told Abraham that he was going to de- destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And you, you remember what happened, right? Abraham, Abraham's nephew, Lot, is living in, in Sodom. And uh, <clears throat> the, the wheels of Abraham begin churning, going, oh, you're going to destroy Sodom. Well, Lord, if there's 50 righteous souls, will you spare? Yes. Uh, 40? Yes. 30? Yes. Oh, beg your pardon. I'm sorry. Uh, 20? Yes. 10? Yes. And at 10, the Lord walked away. The Lord stopped and walked away. Right? He, it was 10 righteous souls. And so he says, if there's 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, here we are in chapter 19, and the angels have showed up to Sodom and Gomorrah to get out the only righteous soul because, and, and because judgment was coming. There weren't 10. There weren't even 10, right? And we know what we, we think Abraham was probably thinking about how many were in Lot's family and trying to figure out of how to get his nephew out and the family out possibly to get rid of the outside of judgment. But in verse 1 of chapter 19, Brother Jim read this, the angels uh, arrived in, in Sodom and Lot invites them into their home. And so... Here they are at Lot's house in verses 4 through 7. And there's a bunch of men that arrive at Lot's house and said, start pounding on the door and say, hey, those guys that showed up, bring them out. We want to know them. Right. No, listen, they didn't want to just chat. They didn't want to ask, hey, where are you from, buddy? How'd you get here? Where are you going? Right. That word no is a Hebrew euphemism. And it is the same word no as we would say Adam knew Eve and conceived. They're a bunch of sodomites. Yeah. And so uh, they're, they're saying, bring them out. Of course, Lot's like, no, no, not them. And they said, no, bring them out. No. And then this just blows our mind, doesn't it? We can't even fathom that this would go through anybody's mind that we know of. And he says, tell you what, I have my two daughters here. They're virgins. Take them and do what you will with them. That statement alone tells us that we know exactly why the men were at the house, right? We know that. That's verse 8. You see this? Behold, now I have two daughters, which I have, which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. 
For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Right. It's just, it's just astonishing, really, it is to me. Do what is good in your own eyes. Listen, the, <clears throat> these girls were not offered by their dad to go out so they could go to a Bible study or a picnic or anything like that. They were, they were sent out by a lot. No, yes, righteous lot. That is, the Bible says, whose righteous soul was vexed daily. Right? Don't, we get kind of concerned about people who live a certain way a certain time, long time, and you go, oh boy, I don't know about them. And yeah, I mean, sometimes there should be some questions. But this guy, this guy, he throws his daughters out there, right? Why? Because they, he, let me say it this way, he ends up offering up his daughters so this base, sordid appetite of these men could be fulfilled with his daughters instead of with the angels. It's unfathomable. I can't, th- I can't imagine anything so vile. Yeah. Now, it shouldn't totally surprise us. Because in some ways, it still goes on today. I'm talking about within the Christian world. You know, in Matthew 5, Jesus, he was going through all of these things. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, you've heard it said, but I say it unto you. Remember in, in verses 27 and 20, he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, any man that looketh upon a woman to lust after hath committed adultery already with her in her heart. Yeah. That's what it says. You know, we wouldn't think, I mean, thankfully, I think most, I mean, we're, most of us in here are a different stage of life and our kids are out of the house and many of you have already fought these battles and you've gone through these battles and you stood your ground for righteousness and morality and all of these things and you wouldn't think about this. But can I tell you, there are many out there, there are many Christian homes out there where their dads are letting these girls go out of the house. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. Why? What, 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 they're going out of the house in such a way, and all they're doing is allowing a bunch of men to fulfill. Not, not, I mean, ungodly men. Listen, God, godly people, godly men, right? We have, we, we have what we're, we, we're, where our minds should be. They should be pure, right? We, we have a way to live pure in this world. But how, how many dads today? Have you looked around in culture, in society? Have you seen what's going out there and how they look? And it's like they're just throwing them out there. So, so these wicked, so these, the, the world out there, the lustful world here out there can just fill their, their wicked appetite. It's unbelievable to see this. And I know what people say. I know you're not supposed to. I know after this gets online, people will be flocking to come here. I know. That's, it's, that's why I do it, right? It's just a fact, right? And, and I know what the replies are. I've heard them all. Well, why should I be in inconvenience for some evil man? Well, do you lock your doors? You're inconvenienced for evil men in a lot of other different ways. Right. <laughs> do you put your valuables away? Yeah, absolutely. They say, well, it's, it's my body. Well, no, it's not. We've been bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore, right? They say, well, well they shouldn't be looking. Well, you're right. And, and godly men won't be looking if they're living godly in, in Christ Jesus. And what do we do? We walk around like this half the time, right? Just the way the society is. But it's, it's right. But what about the lost men, right? I mean, we're, this is a weird time we're living in. 
It's like saying, it's like saying people shouldn't steal. Right, godly people don't steal. But you still take precautions against evil people. I mean, and we could go on and on with the Bible talks about modesty and, and nakedness and all of these things. I'm just saying, don't get too, uh, I mean, okay, you're saying, well, it's not to this level. Listen, don't get, don't get too bent out of shape of what we read here. There's, there's a lot of different things going on today that's unbelievable to me. And as a child of God, and uh, it, should never, it should never come into our homes like it came into Lot's house. Since this God went over so well, I'll just move on to verse 9 and 11. And the angels blinded the men. Right? Look at verse 9. They said, stand back. And they said again, uh, this one fellow comes into sojourn and will be a, needs to be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, pulled, <clears throat> pulled Lot into the house to them. And shut the door, and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both men, small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And they didn't stop. They kept trying to get to the door. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So that went downhill pretty fast, huh? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. So if the first thing we have here is, is, is a is a dilemma. The second thing we see here in our text is the warning. So what's going on in verse 13? Well, the angels are telling Lot that there is destruction coming. Look at verse 13. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of Jehovah, before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And so in verse 12, he's telling them, get out. <clears throat> you, Lot, get you and your family Get everybody together and get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Judgment's coming. The wrath of God is about to fall. And it's going to, he's going to wipe this place out. Look at verse 12. And the men said unto him, Lo, hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them out of this place. There is one little side note we learned from this. Angels aren't omniscient. <laughs> he said, do you have any of this? If you do, yeah. They didn't know how much Lot had. I like that. Just a little, little freebie there. Okay. And so this was the warning. Go out, gather your family together, let them know what's going to happen, and get out. Get out. Well, I want you to see something here in verse 14. I want you to notice the reception of, of, of Lot's sons-in-laws. And Lot went out, verse 14, and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughters, <clears throat> and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. Look at this now. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He seemed as one that mocked. That word, that word mock means to jest, to sport, to play, to toy with. No, they didn't say that Lot was mocking them. He said, they said, oh, you're messing with us. <laughs> oh, come on. You're joking around. God told you? <laughs> God? 
Angels? Angels? I've never heard you talk about God. This is, that's funny. <laughs> uh, you always were kind of a jokester, weren't you? And they walk off and they go back to whatever they were doing. They rejected the warning. They didn't believe him. They did not believe him all the way to the point that they never left Sodom and Gomorrah when the destruction came and they died there. What, hey, let me ask you something. Was Lot bringing truth? You can answer. It's okay. Let's try this again. Was Lot bringing truth? Okay. He was. But they rejected it. Why? Well, he lived in such a way that he wasn't believable. He lived in such a way that his own family didn't believe the warnings. He lived that way. What made them reject it? Well, it wasn't what he said. They were taking what he said and basing it on what they saw, and it didn't match. And when the real truth of the warning come, came, the ones who needed the warning, who watch, who would have been delivered and got, if they had believed the warning and got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, if they, they would have been delivered, but because of what they saw compared to what didn't match up was a contradiction to what he said, they rejected the warning and they died when they didn't have to. What did they see in Lot? Well, they saw a man who lived for prosperity and position. He sacrificed the spiritual needs of his family so he could live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember how it all started? It's, it's, it's so, it's so, uh, um, it's just so innocent. He chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. That's okay. He had cattle. I don't see a big deal in that. But it's the direction he pointed his tent. Remember that? He pitched his tent towards Sodom. Why did he pitch, pitch the tent that way? Because his heart was already there. You know what where your heart is, it's where you, that's where you'll end up. It's where he ended up. What did they say? What did his son-in-law see? They saw a man, the man who lived for prosperity and position. The Bible said he sat within the gates. He was in, within the legal system of the city. He was in, on city council, right? He was, he was making decisions in the city. He was an upper muckety-muck in Sodom. And it was a lot of muck, <laughs> right? He had no, <clears throat> no conviction, no conviction. This was a man willing to solve a problem by offering his daughters to be abused by a bunch of sodomites. They had no conviction. Not to, not to mention, obviously, he was worldly and carnal and lived by his flesh. He chose to live in this, in this city and now here he is in leadership and his life is marked by assimilation. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Oh, how many, how many children of God have assimilated to the world? Can I tell you something? You're building up a contradiction that one day you'll wish you hadn't. Because you'll have family you want to warn and they may not believe you anymore. I tell you, it's hard for a prisoner to rescue another prisoner. 
He had no impact on society or culture. He was a leadership. He was a leader in the city, and the city didn't get better; it got worse. He, he was. Hey, listen. Here is righteous Lot, who was in the city, and you know what? It got, the city got so good that uh, it came up into the ears of God, and he said, "Well, I'm going to have to destroy it." Yeah, real good job. Real good job. So when judgment was coming, and Lot finally got serious, it was like, "You can't be serious." You're joking. We need to get out? God's going to destroy the city? (laughs) Oh, you're funny. Obviously, this newfound newfound religion of of Lot was completely out of character. Think about that. It didn't match what they knew of him. confusion. I tell you tonight that we are, as I said this morning, as we read this morning, we're in the last days. We know that. Paul wrote about it. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews spoke about it. James spoke of it. Peter wrote about it. We're living in the last days. We know that. What's that mean? What means judgment's coming? Not only is judgment coming to those that will die, right, before the Lord comes back and before the tribulation, all of those that die without Christ, I mean, their judgment's coming too. Some people are going into judgment this very moment. Some people are going into hell this this very second. Every two and a half seconds, somebody dies. Every two and a half seconds, somebody dies. Think of the majority of those uh, that, that by the time we get out of here, how many people will close their eyes in this life and wake up in hell? Judgment's coming. There are millions who need to be warned of a coming judgment. Let me ask you, who's the, who, who, whose responsibility is it to warn? You remember what we're likened to in Ezekiel 33? As that watchman on the wall. Absolutely. That watchman on the wall, they'd sit and they'd walk the wall. They had... They would take their turns of walking the wall. What were they doing? They were looking out over the horizon, trying to see if there was an army coming. If there was an army, army coming, they'd pull out the trumpet and they'd begin to warn with the trumpet. You see, we're watchmen on the wall and then judgment is coming. And the responsibility of you and I is to pull out the trumpet of warning and let those know that are heading to judgment, let them know that they need to turn around and get right with God before judgment comes, the angels came to the two angels came to Lot and said, "You go warn your family, and they will be back." <laughs> and he did. It was his responsibility. Righteous Lot. It was his responsibility. But they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. The angels eventually had to drag the one Lot and his wife and two daughters that were at home. They had to drag them, drag them out. And then his wife still looks back. Warning is our responsibility. And we are never going to run out of people to warn. So this is what, what I, where I want to bring this tonight. And here's the question maybe I'll ask. When God moves us to warn the unsaved, when God moves us 
maybe even to warn the believer that's living out of the will of God and they're, they're, they're bringing some destruction in their life. When God moves us to warn somebody, do they believe us or do they just think we're kind of joking around? You know, there's military graves all over the U.S. The one right here in Springfield and you see those white stones and and uh, those white headstones, and it's just, it's, in its own way, it's beautiful. But many of those graves, and graves, I think, especially at Normandy and some at Arlington and some around, the, they're graves of those that gave their life in battle. They gave their life at war. Why? Because they were men and women who believed, I'm sorry, who lived what they believed. Right, they believed that liberty was so uh, uh, was so important. They believed that this nation was so right. They loved their nation so much that they died for it. And when they said freedom is worth dying for, when they would say, "Well, the country's worth it. The nation's worth it. I think it's a wonderful nation. I think it's a great country, and we need to be careful of this direction, and we need to be careful of going this way, and we need to watch out for the communism that's coming in and the socialism that's rising up over here." When somebody like this would say it, right? We could look at those graves and those headstones and see that their words bore out their actions. You can see they believed it. They believed it. See, the old commercial was when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. But when Lot spoke, people thought he was joking. What about you? What about you? When God, listen, when God moves you to say a word to somebody, when God moves you, right? I understand with families, the prophet's honorable, save his own country. I understand, I understand sometimes, uh, you know, they, they are uh, they're good at uh, picking things that aren't really, really uh, accurate to pick at, right? I get that. But there are those we rub shoulders with every day. There are those that, some that, still, that you work with. There are some that that uh, you, you've spent a long time with. If you were to warn some of your co-workers of a coming judgment, would they be shocked? Would they be like, oh, you? Oh, 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 huh. <laughs> okay. Did you just get religion or something? What's going on? You know, as we desire to reach more of the lost, more of our town, more of our country, more of our world with the gospel, as we seek as a church body to reach and and do more than maybe we even did last year, I think this is a good place to do some introspection, to, to plead with God by His grace that He would help us that our words 
would match our lives. I know we're not perfect. I know that. I know that. I know we say things and you go, oh, why did I say that? Right. But no, there's an, listen, there's an overall view of people's lives that we have of people's lives. And it would be a terrible shame that as we're out warning like God has asked us to warn, it would be a terrible shame that they wouldn't believe us. That they wouldn't believe us. Let me ask you this tonight. Does the world see the joy of the Lord Jesus in your life? Yeah. The joy of the Lord. Do they see that joy? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus <clears throat> but to trust and obey. Right? For so many people, joy eludes them. Why? They're not living a joyful life. The world sure tells you're not living. They can tell you're not living a joyful life. Why? It's, well, the song had it right. It's obedience. It's trust and obey. Do they see the joy? Do they see the faith? Do they see that trust and obedience? They may not get it. They might not understand it. But at least when you talk, they think, well, that lines up. <laughs> Do they see the different lifestyle? Do they see the different conversation? Do they hear the different words? Do they take note one day and go, oh, yeah, I guess I never have heard them say that. Oh, that's a blessing. <laughs> that's a blessing. If they can't see what we're saying, they won't believe what we're saying. If they can't see what we're saying, they, can't, they won't believe what we're saying. And this is exactly what happened with Lot. I wonder how many tonight will take the time to just get alone with the Lord and ask Him. We talked about this in discipleship tonight on the, on the, on the subject of the Holy Spirit, how He searches us. He reveals sin in us. And I, I'm not saying there is any big problem. I'm not saying that at all. I don't know of one. But I wonder how many of us tonight would just get with the Lord and just say this. Lord, if there's anything in my life right now that's going on, and I don't even realize it. I'm just living life thinking I'm, you know, loving the Lord and going on. But if there's anything that's going on in my life that would make the world dismiss my warning, would you show me? Because I don't think, you know what I know? I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty confident in this room. Nobody in this room wants something in their life that the world will go, I don't believe you because of this, this. I don't think anybody in here wants that. I know they don't. I know you don't. I know you don't. But I know this as well. Sometimes we don't see it. <laughs> Sometimes we don't. And listen, we have a big task ahead of us of warning the world. And let's make sure of this. Let's make sure tonight that we don't have to say, no, I'm serious. No, believe me, I'm serious. May God help us by his grace that when we warn people that they will see in our life the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ that matches up with the warning. And even if they reject it, they can't reject it based upon, based upon our inconsistency and our not living. Amen? I think you want that. I want that. I absolutely do. And may God help us this year. To make sure our 
that our life matches up with what we're saying. Our Father, this little excerpt here out of the Genesis 19 really is quite heavy because it requires so much introspection of our own life. Every person in this room, myself included, know, we know the inconsistencies that are possible. And yea, even there at times, and we would say sometimes even too often, that are in our life. We know they're there at times. And I know that everybody in this room, I'm almost certain that everybody in this room has a desire in one way or the other to warn those around them of a coming judgment. And I'm pretty sure also, Father, that most everybody in this room desires that their life matches the warning, that their life wouldn't be a hindrance, that their life wouldn't be a stumbling block to the warning, that we wouldn't be like a lot that when we came and warned, they just kind of mocked, thought that he was mocking and playing around and just joking. So, Father, would, we, would you help us tonight to take this time just to get with you and ask you that you'd show us, is there anything there Is there anything there that we need to be aware of that might be a hindrance? We ask you to do that work tonight, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Piano's going to play. We'll stand tonight. And the invitation is open. Would you come tonight and just ask the Lord, is there anything? You you might look your life over and say, Lord, I I don't see anything. I really don't. And I think that's probably the testimony of 99% 99% of the people in here. But it is so easy, like Lot, to get caught up in the culture of the day and to bring something into our life that is not at all godly. Amen. Well, we're going to be closing a word of prayer here in just a minute. And, and uh, we're going to take about it.